Welcome to the Franchise Hounds podcast. I'm Greg Macchia, a certified franchise consultant. Thanks for joining me as I interview franchise industry pros to dissect, explore, and discover franchise ownership. Joining me today is Matt Lovis. Matt is the founder and CEO of TACT Crime and Trauma Scene Cleanup Franchise. Prior to founding TACT, Matt was a former police veteran and also a former master franchise owner and head instructor in the biohazard industry. Matt has been featured on the A&E show Hoarders on multiple episodes. After building a very successful business in the biohazard and hoarding cleanup industry, Matt decided to start TACT using everything he had learned in his police and biohazard careers to improve on them to create the ideal crime scene cleanup franchise. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Matt Lovis from TACT Crime and Trauma Scene Cleanup Franchise. Matt, welcome to Franchise Sounds. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You know, uh, TACT's been one of my one of my favorite brands in our portfolio, and, and you and I have worked together with some candidates, so, so this should be a lot of fun. Yeah. When dealing with the general public, do you find there's like, like misconceptions about, you know, what, what you guys do and what crime and trauma scene cleanup? is sometimes i think the most the the most common main uh, misconception that i get from people is they think that we do um a lot of i mean it's called crime scene cleanup so they think we're doing a lot of crime scenes but you know murders and shootings and stuff like that but in reality most of our jobs are people who pass away in the house and nobody finds them for a period of time or uh, suicides are pretty common and we do also a lot of hoarding cleanup. Sure. Yeah, I find that with candidates as well. When they talk about uh, a territory or what makes a good territory, it often comes up like, you know, do we do you need a lot of crime in the area or homicide? So, yeah, I find that as well. So so how did you get involved in, in this world and, and what's the history of TACT? I was a police officer in St. Louis for a little over 10 years and uh, my wife and I we're married, had our first kid. Um, I was in something uh, that was called special operations here for about four years. It was, you know, a lot of undercover stuff and a lot of the exciting stuff about police work. Um, then I got out of that. It was a four-year spot. I came out of that and went back to the road. I started getting kind of burnt out on, on road work and just thinking about what to do next. And around that time, my wife and I had our first kid and just, you know, seeing how you know, expensive kids can be. And also um, just thinking about the future and, you know, how dangerous police work can be. I was trying to think what else I could do. And then I just came across this industry uh, and got into this industry uh, about 10 years ago. Wow. And you were, you were a, uh, like a head trainer as well as a, a master franchiser with a, with another brand. Right. I was one of the first franchises, um, with another brand, um, grew really quickly and then was hired on at the corporate office to, to train all the franchises. So for three and a half years or so, I was, I was training franchises, uh, multiple franchises about, uh, one week out of every month. Nice. And then, um, how long ago did you go out on your own and, and start tact? It's been, we just started franchising, um, March of this year, but I was, 
out on my own building tech for about a year before that. So it's been about a year and a half to two years that I've I've been out on my own. Yeah, and just coming up on the on the one year mark on the on the franchising. Right. I, I've always wanted to ask, and maybe this isn't a good time to do it, but is is TACT an acronym for anything? Yeah, so it's yeah, we I I probably should put that on the website, but um it it stands for trauma and casualty team, but the word tact is just something that we used a lot in police work and it applies to this type of work too. It just means using skill and sensitivity when dealing with difficult issues. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that's, that's pretty funny that uh, I've never asked that. And uh, I was wondering it the other day, but I, I find myself using tact when I'm talking to candidates because, you know, you are typically dealing with clients on, you know, one of the worst days of their lives, perhaps, right? If they've, if they've had exactly. a loved one die or, you know, a tragic accident in the home or something like that. So it, right. it does require a, a certain level of tact. So that's, that's interesting. Um, and then what, um, so w- when you found it tact, you decided to kind of take the things that you, you know, really liked about your, you know, your former experience and then, and then add some new things. Is that, was that kind of the approach? Right. There was, there was a few things that I, you know, not just works with my previous business, but it works just in the industry overall. But there's a lot of things that I noticed, uh, over the years that could have been improved. Um, a lot of things I heard other franchisees complain about that they wanted changed that, that wouldn't get changed. Um, so I took a lot of things that I know work and changed a few of the things that, you know, just would make the franchisees more happy um and also improve the business and made those changes to to make tact nice and i i believe one of them was kind of a offering like a large protected territory was that one of the main ones right yeah we we do offer a large protected territory it's either uh depending on where you are either 100 square miles or a million people so you can get a pretty good sized territory with that and and to our point earlier that we were talking about obviously you know a high crime area isn't the driver. It's really just population, right? Because uh, among population, there's a certain amount of suicides and, and deaths and that sort of thing, right? Right. It's population, you know, homeownership too, because we do a lot of our work can be built through homeowners insurance. Um, so it's it, it depends on population, but you know, some of the lower populated areas that we have franchises and still produce you know really big numbers so it just it really just depends on a lot of things but um uh population definitely helps with just you know the bigger the population the more incidences like this you're going to have yeah so you've been you've been franchising just about a year now how many uh franchise locations do you currently have we have five right now five okay and where uh where are they currently operating we have a few in arkansas texas um, and Florida. So that's how they're, that's how they're spread out. That, but the nice, the nice thing is, is most, most major markets are, are still open, even, even in those markets you have availability, right? Right. Yeah. There's, there's still a lot of territories open in the country for sure. Off the top of your, can you name like a couple top markets that are just like prime and ready to go that you'd really like to get into? I don't, I mean, there's nothing that I really want to get into. I just think, you know, depending on who the owner is, is, is how well those, those markets are going to be. But, you know, the Texas and Florida, we, we have a couple in each of those, but they're huge States and, and people usually do well in those. Um, you know, um, 
I, I, I can really can't think of like any specific cities, um, that would be that I'm really targeting, but you know, a lot of the country is open. So. Sure. And, and you touched a little bit about uh, on the, you know, the owner, but you know, what makes uh who is an ideal candidate or what makes someone a strong operator? Some people have the, the misconception that you have to have some type of law enforcement experience or, or some type of experience to get into this, but I've seen people be successful with all types of backgrounds. It really just takes somebody who is a really determined driven person that doesn't, you know, get discouraged easily. And, and, you know, if you're buying a franchise, you, you have a, a plan to follow. So there's somebody who can follow the plan. Um, cause owning a, any kind of business, there's a lot of ups and downs. And, and when there's downs, people start second guessing things. And, and it just takes that person that, you know, believes in the system and is just really to outwork everybody else in their area. Sure. Yeah. And just kind of grind through it. So do you, do you mostly see like owner operator? Um, and do you, do you allow like passive ownership? I allow passive ownership. Um, I've talked to a few people that are thinking about, you know, um, doing that, but it just seems that most people that get into it are owner operators, but we're always encouraging everybody by the first year to, to not be, um, in the suit anymore, you know, in the biohazard suit is we call it getting out of the suit. So I tell everybody by the first year, you should be out of the suit and having employees doing the work while you're free to grow the business. What's kind of a, a day in the life of an owner? Well, when they're a new franchise, it's it's a lot of marketing, a lot of uh, driving around, meeting people, you know, and any all the different kinds of marketing strategies we teach in class. Um, but if they're not on a job, they're out marketing, you know. So our jobs typically take you know two to four hours to do excluding something like hoarding so if you actually if it's a day where you get a call for a job in a couple hours you could be done so there's a lot a lot of time can be spent out marketing and and uh building the business and our and our most calls um because of the the relationships and the introductions you've you know that that the owner has established or is it like is there any component of like web search or anything like that it's both we we have you know websites for all the franchises individually, and uh, they can set up a Google Ads campaign. Um, but there's a lot of other you know things that we teach them that's, uh, to to market the business. But a lot of it is that you know old fashioned face to face marketing, meeting people, and getting them to know you and your name. So uh, when something like this happens, they they think of tact. Yeah. I was going to ask like when there is, you know, a suicide in a home, who's, you know, obviously the, the, the police come and then the, you know, the body is removed and then, and then typically to the, it's ultimately on the homeowner, but the, typically the police recommend someone. Is that how it, it, it works? <clears throat> yeah. That's sometimes they can, sometimes they have policies where they can't refer any companies, but they, they may direct them to, the internet to search for a company where they could find us. Uh, there's whenever something like a suicide happens in the house, there's a lot of different people that, that interact with the family. Um, there's sometimes victim advocates or grief counselors. There's paramedics, firefighters, you know, police officers, police detectives, there's um, medical examiner. Sometimes, you know, a funeral home will come by if, if they have the body to pick up. So, a lot of those different people uh, might get asked by the family, who do we call for this? And those are all 
different types of people that we market to. Sure. Yeah. So the the more relationships you have, uh, the, the better chance of of you getting the call, I guess. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So you said the 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 top three kind of calls: one being suicides, two being undiscovered death, and then and then three um, hoarding. So like on a on a suicide and a and an undiscovered death, tax role is is to really um, clean up and have it like a safe environment again, right? But you're not like, you know, if you have if you're required to cut out sheetrock or anything like that, you're not replacing that, right? You're just kind of getting it back to a to a basic safe state. Is that a good way to describe it? Uh, typically, yes. We we can. Um we, we remove all the biohazard, you know, if there's blood or any other type of bodily fluid, just so the family doesn't see any of that when they go back in. But like you said, if we have to remove drywall or sheetrock or carpeting or something like that, um, usually the insurance company is going to have somebody come out after us to replace that and repair it. Some of our franchises, can, if they if they have those skills and training, if, you know, they can put a new drywall and flooring, they can get into doing the repair work as well. Um, I know some of them have done that. Uh, it's just, you know, a way to increase your revenue if they have the capability of doing that, or they, they might hire some, you know, people who do handyman work and, and repair work to do that for them. But um, most of the time, our franchises aren't doing the repair work. They're just, you know, removing the biohazard, making it safe and presentable for the family. Sure. So a, a job like, you know, one of those two, you typically, you know, two to four hour job, is that pretty typical with, you know, a couple technicians, two to three technicians. Is that about right? Yeah. Typically our, you know, undiscovered death or suicide, your typical biohazard job is yeah, two to four hours with two to three technicians. Okay. And then because those things happen in the home, typically that you're able to, to work with homeowners insurance to bill them for those types of, for those types of jobs. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and is that something that, you know, tact and corporate helps, uh, you know, f- franchisees navigate that, like billing insurance and those sorts of things. Right. My franchisees get help with everything that they need help with, really. So I've even some of the franchises who really don't feel that confident talking to insurance companies at the beginning. And I've even gotten on the phone with them to do the talking forum for, f- for the first few times just so they can see how the conversations usually go. Uh, but we also do a lot of training in that in the classroom training part of of their training class. So that help goes on for the life of the franchise. So as much help as they need with any aspect of the business, um, we're happy to help with. That's great. And then uh, hoarding cleanups, that's probably a little bit different. Who who typically calls on that? Is it like a, a family member or? It's typically the family member uh, that just found out that they're their loved one or friend was a um, hoarder and it's usually uh, after the hoarder passes away or they have some type of um, medical problem where they had to get, you know, taken to the hospital and then, yeah, the, the police hospitalized. Yeah. And then people, people discovered what, what, what the condition of the home was. Yeah. Right. And that's usually when we get called. Um, there's sometimes where, you know, the, the resident, the hoarder does call us on their own. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's a property manager or a landlord or something like that, too. So it could be a, a few different people. And are there um, are, are like pets usually involved in the hoarding situations like pet feces and urine and that kind of stuff? Is that is that pretty typical? I mean, those are those are the stories you hear, right? A lady with a lady with 72 cats in her house type of thing, right? Right. Yeah. The kind of stuff you see on the TV show. Yeah. That's usually 
what we're dealing with because there's five levels of hoarding, five being the most severe. We we're not getting called usually for levels one and two. They're usually you know calling maid services and professional organizers and things like that. But levels three, four, and five that's usually when we get called, and and all of those have either you know some type of pet or pest or sewage or all the above problems in them <laughs> bet you have some stories i do i do have a lot of stories <laughs> <laughs> so so beyond those the kind of the three main jobs i know you you've touched on like other other jobs you can do and and um i think you know you, you mentioned like back of police car you know cleaning up the back of police cars or jail cells or something like that and that that kind of helps you i guess network more with with the local police forces right is that is that something that could keep you kind of busy i mean is there a decent amount of that it depends on um the franchisee that's something that i started with my previous company they you know they weren't doing that when i first got into it but um i got that started and just because of the police connections i had i it turned into a pretty consistent revenue stream for me um we were you know getting called out three to ten times a week for different police cars or jail cells and um they're not huge money makers so some of the franchisees aren't really going after them that much but they just don't if they understand that you know getting these relationships with police officers and, and first responders could you know possibly get you the the bigger jobs down the road that's that's what we we tell people the the you know where you can make money on it. But this is more of like a courtesy to first responders. We still charge for it, but, but very little. Um, and it's just a, a way to network with them and, and help them out. Sure. And I, and I get, you know, it's also a way to, to keep your technicians, you know, busy uh, between larger jobs, I guess. Right. Yes, for sure. Yeah. We have a few different revenue streams like that that can, we get asked that a lot. Like, you know, how do I keep my employees busy if we're not, you know, going on, you know, a suicide every single day? There's jobs like that, you know, the hoarding jobs can take a lot more than a few hours. Those are usually days or sometimes weeks. Um, and there's other things that can get into like, you know, mold work or medical waste pickups, sewage backups, drug lab cleanups, like, you know, meth lab cleanups. Um, and we also, something that is different with TACT is we offer uh, the franchises the opportunity to get into water restoration down the road too, if they want to, which could definitely keep you a lot more busy than, than biohazard cleanup. Sure. is like an add-on type of thing. Right. Yeah. Since we're kind of talking about the the technicians and employees, you know, you hear so much in the in the news now about how you know businesses can't staff, right? No one there's there's no one available to work. But interestingly enough, you guys don't really seem to have that problem, right? It seems like the it doesn't matter if the you know economy's been great or or not or uh, what's going on. It just seems that we've been pretty consistently busy as in as an industry. Um, a lot of our franchises, you know, when they're in training, they don't believe me, but I told them I've never put out a job ad before. I've never had to search for employees. I think just because the word gets spread that there's companies that do this and it is interesting work, you know, it's um, not like your typical job. I think a lot of people just want to work for a company like this really for the experience. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, so many people are, are fascinated with the type of work. There's, you know, TV shows about crime scene investigation and and obviously there's tv shows about you know hoarding cleanups but i think you're i think you're right it's just an interesting job 
to say you have, you know, if you, if you, you know, work for a maid service and clean houses, no one's, you know, when, when you tell people what you do, no one's wants to hear about it or is that excited probably. But certainly when you say you're a, you know, a crime scene cleanup technician, you know, people are definitely want to hear about it. So I, I could see people, you know, people really wanting to, to be, to be part of it. So that's, that's huge because I know so many small business owners right now and the, the, the biggest thing holding back the, the growth of their business is is the inability to find you know reliable employees or any employees quite honestly right and it's um you know when you start out it's people work from home so a lot of people are that's appealing to a lot of people that you know you're not just going to clock in at a place every day um so it seems like a little bit more freedom um but also the main thing is it's a rewarding job too because like you said you are a lot of the times helping someone at possibly the worst day of their life so um, it's, it's rewarding in a different way besides just, you know, making money at a job. You can really say that you helped somebody and made a difference in someone's life when something tragic happened. For sure. It's funny. You, you've had, uh, I know you've been featured on, on the show hoarders, right? With your, with your previous company, right? You, right. You're kind of a, an industry celebrity, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Perfect. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. The other the other thing that's kind of unique to this business, and I, I was curious to get your your opinion on, but you know, a lot of business owners, particularly a lot of service businesses and probably restaurants, you know, they live and die by customer reviews. Um, you know, it's I know a lot of business owners that spend a lot of time dealing with angry customers, trying to get negative reviews removed or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, and it can really affect a business. But I would imagine this isn't really that type of business where, where people are going to be comfortable writing reviews or that sort of thing. I mean, it, it's not a huge drive of your business, right? No, it, it really isn't. We, I remember getting reviews, but we didn't get a ton of them. I mean, you don't have, you do rarely, I shouldn't say never, but have have repeat customers I, I did have some repeat customers unfortunately but you, know, you don't really have repeat customers and most of the time when you're done people are really grateful that you you came out and helped them because they didn't know what else they were going to do so when you're done I, I haven't really had people nothing that i can think of right now at least where someone was ang angry with me or, or not happy when we were done and I, I imagine also you feel bad even talking about it but like People aren't price haggling either, right? Like they, they just want it taken care of, and right, yeah. Usually, on a insurance, where something where insurance is going to cover the work, we we don't. It, they have so much to worry about and think about at a time like that. We're not trying to, you know, put another thing on their plate, but we usually just tell them that you know insurance is probably going to cover this we usually just bill insurance for this if you guys want us to do that we're happy to do that and we'll bill them directly um, so you guys don't have to we don't take any money from the family we don't ask them for a deductible we just say we'll come in and do the work and bill the insurance company and we'll let you know once we hear something back from them i assume i mean i haven't reviewed my homeowners policy but is that pretty standard that this this type of thing is in, is included in that yeah, it, it'll, it won't say in your policy that, you know, suicides are covered, but it will say certain things in there, like, you know, there's um, clauses for biohazards and, you know, there's a clauses for, there's an explosion clause, which a lot of times suicides are covered under that if they use a gun. So there's there's different things in insurance policies that, are, that, that cover these types of things. I've never had an insurance policy not cover a suicide or 
or something like a homeowner's policy, not cover a suicide before. So, wow. So let's talk about the, uh, the investment to become an owner. What yeah. is, uh, what does that look like? The franchise fee is 40,400. Um, the, the standard, we call it the standard issued equipment package, which is just everything you need to do any kind of job. That's 46. And there's a tech startup fee to build the websites and the ads campaigns. Um, so the total investment, depending on, um, what kind of vehicle you want to get is around 88,000. You have to get some type of vehicle. Um, it's, it's one thing I changed with tact. I don't mandate what type of vehicle you get. I suggest people get a box truck, like a, you know, like U-Haul type box truck, just because those are good if your employees need to drive them. You know, it's not, some people like trailers, but you know, if you have employees, they're going to have to have something to pull that trailer. Um, and it's, it's, it's better than a sprinter van because it's, you know, the cargo is separated from the driver. So if you do have an undiscovered death or something like that, it's, it's separate from you when you're, you're driving your car. So other, the, those are the main costs to start up. It's not a real big cost as far as starting up a business. Uh, we're approved with the SBA. So we're on the express loan list, but. If uh, you are going to get into, you know, water restoration at the beginning, I really only suggest that if you have, you know, two owners or or more people uh, working the business. But the standard issue equipment a package at, at the startup wouldn't be forty six; it would be seventy two if you're going to do biohazard and water at the startup. But most people just go with biohazard at the beginning. So yeah, so on the vehicle, like like you said, like a whatever fourteen or sixteen foot kind of box truck like a like a u-haul what type of stuff like do you do you typically haul out on a job like mattresses and couches and um maybe drywall like what carpet typically um a lot mostly furniture flooring you know carpet sometimes hardwood flooring depending on the type of job we might have to pull it up or tile laminate but it's usually furniture flooring uh we usually don't cut out drywall if we don't have to, but typically uh, we we can chemically treat it and uh, save the drywall if we if we can. Uh, but it's usually furniture, contents of the house, flooring, things like that. Sure. And then uh, disposal of this material that you know has biohazard on it does that does that vary by state or county level? How does that work? Right. Both. Um, it, just depending on what state or county you're in. If you're thinking about getting into this and you're looking into it, the county or state websites for, you know, Department of Health or Department of Natural Resources is where you would look. But sometimes they don't have real clear wording on our industry. It's it's more for medical waste pickups and, and things like that, environmental companies. So um, something we do in training or during the opening week is get a hold of somebody at those departments and find out exactly what we need to do and not do. But, you know, like you said, it just varies by state to state. And I think I remember you saying sometimes, uh, depending on what it is, once it's been treated with your kind of specialized chemicals, it's kind of deemed safe for, you know, regular, regular disposal of like a landfill or whatever, right? That that can happen. We have proprietary chemicals and um, there has been times uh, in Missouri, for example, uh, we, we met with the Department of Natural Resources. They looked over our chemicals and they said, as long as it's just, you know, bodily fluids or blood or something like that, you can treat 
the items with these chemicals and dispose of it in a regular landfill. So um, part of the equipment package that the the special chemicals, that's part of it as well as like biohazard suits and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Chemicals, biohazard suits, you know, all of the PPE that you would need, um, a bunch of different machines, big and small machines and tools and a lot of different things. I think we're probably the most tech technology advanced uh, company that does this in the industry. That's something I wanted to change with tact is add a lot more uh, technology to what we do. Oh, very cool. The The original equipment package investment, like how long would that typically last someone? I mean, I guess it depends on the number of jobs and that sort of thing and the type of jobs. Exactly. The people who, you know, are going to get into a lot of hoarding work, they're going to go through, you know, a lot more suits and, and PPE and stuff like that, where, you know, if, if someone is doing um, more jobs that aren't biohazards, like, um, you know, if someone's doing medical waste pickups or something like that, where you don't have to wear a suit, your suits are going to last you a lot longer. Or um, if people get um, a lot of like rodent droppings or like cat urine jobs, I think that they're going to go through a lot more of one chemical than they would the other. So it just depends. Um, Some people are ordering more chemicals between three and six months some people it goes longer some people uh, don't need to order suits for you know up to a year sometimes but the renewable supplies that you need are not a real big cost so um, the profit margins are are big enough on these jobs to where it's it's uh it's not a real big cost to to use a lot of suits and chemicals and stuff like that if you need to just back to the vehicle real quick do you based on like the sensitivity of the work do you recommend that they have logos on the vehicle or how do you handle that like if you know if it's pulled up in front of someone's house so i I found a a compromise to that issue (laughs) because with my previous job it was unmarked vehicles only a lot of franchises wanted to have their vehicles wrapped so what i've done is have our franchises just put signage on the passenger side of their vehicle so they can drive around and still have signage positioned in a certain way if they want to advertise but if they get a call from somebody which you do get calls occasionally where people say don't pull up in front of my house with something that has your logo or says biohazard cleanup so you can just park on the street facing their house you could tell them our logo will face your house people driving by won't see anything and that seems to work out for most of our people it's a good compromise it's a good idea so what's the uh, what's kind of a typical you know discovery process or timeline someone starts has an initial call with with you and then um, where do they go from there to, as far as discovery days and things like that we usually have like you said an initial call or two and then um, after they look over the FDD I will talk to them about attending a discovery day and they can do it virtually now, or we can meet in person in St. Louis. And that's just, that's a one day thing. Um, after that, we talk about funding the business and signing the franchise agreement. And, and we schedule training, which is uh, five classroom days in St. Louis where there's you know, classroom training and practical training as well. And then another thing that I do, which is different than other franchises in this industry, is we schedule the opening for the franchisee. When they decide to open, I will come to their hometown for the first few days of opening and make sure their truck's set up the right way and that they got everything in the equipment package and go around and help them market and 
meet the people we need to meet and sign up for the groups we want to be a part of and vendor lists we want to be on and things like that. Nice. Yeah. I know, I know one of the candidates you and I worked together with uh, that he, he was able to book a big job just as uh, after a couple of days of you being in town. So he was pretty excited about that. That's, that's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just talked to him right before this call. Actually. Nice. Nice. On the employees, what do you recommend that uh, someone starts with? And I guess it depends wh- whether the owner is going to be, you know, in the suit to start, right? But uh, is it a minimum? I say just that you have at least you know, two or three people. Um, if there's a hoarding job where you need more people, you can always, you know, people can usually find some extra help, whether it's you know temp labor or something like that. But two or three people can do ninety nine out of a hundred jobs. And uh, I mean, it's it's not too physically demanding, right? I mean, I guess you got you got to be maybe able to haul a mattress or something like that, but it's it's not terribly physically demanding. Not terribly. Um, the hoarding jobs can get pretty tough, but you know, if you have a extra help and take breaks, you know, it can it can be a lot easier. But yeah, you know, like you said, the most you have to do is pull out some furniture, maybe you know, a couch or a mattress, things like that. As far as uh, as far as competition, what is there? What does that look like? I mean, is it is it a lot of mom and pops, or there's some national brands? It's both, and um, it really just depends on the area too. Like you were saying, a, a bigger population city is going to have all those things. They're going to have national brands and mom and pops, and um, you know, people that are not even really biohazard companies that are doing it. Uh, the, the smaller cities, like uh, one of my franchises, I think he might be the only game in town um, as far as crime scene cleanup goes. Um, I think there's one other person that does hoarding, but so there's pros and cons with you know going to a, a large market or a smaller city. If you go to some small town, you might be the only business in town that does it. Yeah, I know. I, I remember we were on a call with a candidate, and um, you know they they were googling it and um it sounds like there's some national companies that might have a you know a national advertising campaign but they might not actually have a physical presence there they might try and sub it out or something like that right right yeah there is uh one of those they they advertise across the country and they just you know have people sometimes they might be working in your city sometimes they might be it just depends on who's working for them at the time but there's really no local franchise owners or anything like that i know like surf pro which really is does you know water restoration right like that's kind of their their thing i, I think they're i right. think they you know added a added a line on their website about you know getting into this as well right right and i've had mixed reactions with them too so like in st louis there's a few surf pros that would refer us all the time because they said you know we're supposed to say that we do this but but we don't want to do it. Um, and then I've been in other cities where they say, no, we do crime scene cleanup and they, they want to do it, but you know, it just depends on the city. Yeah. And I guess their, their employees comfort level, right? Like whether, right. whether someone wants to do that or not. Excellent. Right. Well, um, if, if a listener would like to learn more, is your, is your website the best place to, to get started? Yes, it is. Uh, they can go to tact-franchise.com. Um, if they don't need to get in, in touch with me, they can you know, fill out a submission form on there or they can contact you as well, obviously. <laughs> sure. That would be great. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Matt, this is, this has been, this has been fun. Um, thanks again for joining us today. I've, I've enjoyed learning more about TACT and I, and I finally yeah. know what the acronym stands for. That's a, <laughs> that's good. So, so thanks right, again. Thanks. I, I appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Franchise Hounds. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode or would like to work with me directly to explore franchise ownership opportunities, please reach out through the form on our website at FranchiseHounds.com. Thank you.